Our scripture reading for today is Ephesians chapter 3, starting in verse 14. In the red Bibles in front of you, it's on page 977. Ephesians 3, starting verse 14. For this reason, I bow my knees before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth is named, that according to the riches of his glory, he may grant you to be strengthened with power through his spirit in your inner being, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, that you, being rooted and grounded in love, may have strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length and height and depth, and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. Now to him who is able to do far more abundantly than all that we ask or think, according to the power at work within us, to him be the glory in the church and in Christ Jesus through all generations, forever and ever. Amen. Let's continue our worship of the risen Christ with the giving of our offerings. If you've prepared a gift to give for the advance of his name, uh, there'll be uh, an offering plate that is coming your way, and you can uh, just drop that in as that comes along. Um, And as we worship in our giving of our offerings, we'll have uh, a chance to hear from Victoria, a song that she's prepared. Let me pray for us uh, before we do that, though. Let's pray. Our Father in heaven, how grateful we are on a morning like this to come to this moment in our worship gathering where we we worship you with our resources. Um, Lord, what this culture values is what we are going to happily give away right now over these next few moments to demonstrate, Lord Jesus, that we love you more than we love money. Money can't save us. Money will do us no good on the judgment day. And I pray that with great happiness and joy and sacrifice that we would give to you, knowing that there is no greater mission to give to than the advance of your name. Lord, the tomb is empty. You are the risen king of heaven and earth, soon to return, and we will have been grateful to have contributed to the expanse of your kingdom, even through a simple offering like this. So, Lord, thank you for this privilege. This is worship. We don't take a break from worship right now. We continue to worship you in the giving of a little bit of all that belongs to you and that you have given to us. Come now and bless these givers. In Jesus' name, amen. This the song is called Holy Untouchable Splendor, and it was written by um, my, former, my former music director. And 
since it's since he wrote it, none of you will have heard it, and so I encourage you to really listen to the words and to um, reflect upon them as we consider what Easter really means.
Thank you, Victoria. I didn't want that to end. If you are second grade or younger uh, and you haven't headed down to Children's Church, you can do that now. You've got a teacher waiting for you. Second grade and younger can head down to Children's Church. And if you are third to seventh grade and you haven't gotten your treasure seeker binder, I'll give you a minute to get that in the back of the sanctuary there by Mr. Ron. Uh, Third to seventh grade can grab a treasure seeker binder. Let's pray. Father in heaven, 1 John chapter 4, verse 10 says, Not that we have loved God. As Victoria just beautifully sang, we were loving ourselves to destruction. Not that we have loved God but that you loved us and you sent your son to be the propitiation, the atoning sacrifice for our sins. You don't love us because we're lovely, Lord. You love us because you're love. And as you love us, we become lovely. And as we understand the deep, costly, bloody, painful meaning of true love, we become lovers of you and of each other, and of all those who have yet to come to know your love. So would you help us just one more step now this morning? We're going to take a very deep step into love through this prayer. I pray, God, that you'd be with us. Help us to follow the Apostle Paul lockstep. There is nothing more important we could do with these next few moments than to see where Paul is going here, because that's where we want to go as a church. Jesus, come now and do do exceedingly and abundantly more than I could ever ask or think with this sermon. In your name, amen. Peter Taylor Forsyth was born in Aberdeen, Scotland in 1848. He died in the year 1921 at the age of 73. He was both a pastor in the Congregational Church and was a pretty high-level professor of uh, divinity. He began his journey as a theological liberal and had a profound conversion to conservative biblical Christianity as an adult. And that, that new birth unleashed a steady stream of writing of preaching and lecturing and publishing that went right up to the time he went to be with Jesus in 1921. Uh, One of Forsyth's biographers said that uh, trying to capture all of Forsyth's teaching was like standing beside Niagara Falls with a little tin cup. Uh, In 1916, Forsyth wrote a little book, little book called The Soul of Prayer, and it's a book that I would recommend to everybody here today, The Soul of Prayer by P.T. Forsyth. Um, One of the great features of Forsyth's writing was his ability to say weighty, punchy things in just little pregnant sentences, just filled with uh, um, um, conviction. Uh, The book Soul of Prayer is filled with just these staccato statements that go right down into your soul about, about prayer. 
Uh, Listen to a handful of his wisdom on the topic of prayer. Forsyth writes, All of our progress in prayer is an answer to prayer, either ours or another's. That's good, isn't it? Here's another. He says, Prayer is not mere wishing. It's asking with a will. Our will goes into it. That feels about right to me, too. That's very helpful. Um, He says this. He says, It is truer to say that we live the Christian life in order to pray than we pray in order to live the Christian life. You might want to write that one down and think about it. It's true. It is truer to say that that we live the Christian life in order to pray than we pray in order to live the Christian life. He's right. I just saw a light go on there. That's good. Here's another one. He knew this from the inside out. I do too. He says, the root of all deadly heresy is prayerlessness. It is. And then my favorite line in the book. It's in bold at the top of your sermon notes. P.T. Forsyth said, prayer is the highest use to which speech can be put. Prayer is the highest use to which speech can be put. Prayer, then, it's the ultimate reason why we human beings have language. That's why God gave us words, to talk to him. He gave us words so that we would address him with them. It's a remarkable thing. We shouldn't forget it. Prayer is the highest level that speech can can attain. The Apostle Paul knew this very well. And in order to demonstrate that, I'd invite you to open a Bible to the book of Ephesians this morning. Uh, Paul's New Testament letter to Ephesus. It's Ephesians chapter 3, beginning in verse 14. If you wanted to use one of the red Bibles that are underneath the seats in front of you, uh, you could turn to page 977. It's the text that Victoria read for us a little bit earlier. Page 977 in those burgundy red Bibles. Ephesians chapter 3, beginning in verse 14. This is Easter Sunday. It's Resurrection Sunday. And prayer is the highest use to which speech can be put. So don't just believe that Jesus is resurrected from the dead. Pray like it. Don't just believe that Jesus is resurrected from the dead. Pray like it. Here's the first of three points today. Point number one. Because Christ has been raised up, we may now pray God's blessings down. Because Christ has been raised up, we may now pray God's blessings down. Uh, Look with me now at Ephesians 3, verse 14, just into the first half of verse 16. For this reason... I bow my knees before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth is named, that according to the riches of his glory, break it off right there, because the prayer is going to start in a minute. For this reason, I bow my knees before the Father. For this reason, We ought to ask 
For what reason, Paul? We're catching him right in the middle of this letter. What's the reason that he bows his knees before the Father? Well, if you wanted to catch the flow of his thought, you would run your eyes back up to the beginning of chapter 3 and verse 1, where he uses the exact same phrase. You see it? Ephesians 3, verses 1 and 2. For this reason, I, Paul, a prisoner for Christ Jesus on behalf of you Gentiles, assuming you have heard of the stewardship of God's grace, and he trails off for 13 verses. (laughs) Until verse 14, where he gets back around to what he was meaning to say in verse 1. Now, I'm not implying that Ephesians 3, 1 to 13 is not inerrant, inspired scripture. It certainly is inerrant, inspired scripture. But it is also an inerrant, inspired rabbit trail. And it happened to Paul as he wrote New Testament letters. Those 13 verses are useful for teaching and reproof and correction and training in righteousness, sure. But it's a digression. Paul said, for this reason... And then he went on to say something other than the reason, and then he gets back in verse 14. Right, what was I saying again? For this reason. Verse 1 is where we need to go to understand verse 14. And verse 1 has in its mind the first two chapters of this book, which is exactly why I believe in the kind of preaching we do here at Mount Free Church. What was last week's sermon text? Anybody remember? I know one person does. Ephesians chapter 2, verses 1 to 10. Ephesians chapter 2, verses 1 to 10. Guy taught us last week that by grace, God transforms a hopeless sinner into a tool for his mercy. The hopeless condition of fallen humanity is that we're all dead in sin. But through a gracious salvation, we've been made alive in Christ. And finally, through our good works, we demonstrate God working in us and through us. Last week, Guy preached the gospel from Ephesians chapter 2, verses 1 to 10. The gospel, that's what's on Paul's mind as he begins chapter 3, verse 14. The gospel sets Paul to praying. It happened just for comparison in chapter 1, verses uh, 1 to 14. He proclaims the gospel and then he starts praying in verses 15 and 16. He does it again here in chapter 3. The gospel for Paul didn't just include a cross, although that's non-negotiable. The cross is essential. There's no Good Friday. There's no good news. But Easter Sunday holds the key to why Good Friday is indeed good. Uh, Paul said in another place, if Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile and you're still in your sins. But indeed, Christ has been raised from the dead. Christ has been raised up and we may now pray God's blessings down you see his logic it makes perfect sense so verse 14 for this reason I bow my knees before the father because Jesus died and was raised on the third day I pray prayer is the highest use to which speech can be put and when I come to God through Jesus his son I'm talking to a God who can get things done I bow my knees before the Father, Paul says. Just a word on the posture here. Kneeling in prayer in the first century, it wasn't terribly uncommon, but it wasn't the most common way to pray. Uh, The most dominant posture for prayer in the first century would have been standing. 
So Paul breaks tradition slightly here. Uh, to pray uh, on one's knees is a profound statement of respect. That's what kneeling prayer is. The resurrection bent Paul's knees in prayer. I hope it bends ours as a church. One day, every knee in the universe will bow this way to King Jesus. Paul writes in Philippians 2, 9 to 11, Therefore, God has highly exalted him, that's a resurrection statement, and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow, in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. So the sinless Christ died and was raised in the place of sinners. And for this reason, Paul bows his knees before the Father. Christ has been raised up so that we may now pray his blessings down. So what should we say? And if you have the ear of the God of the universe, and he's like this, ready to listen, what would you say? What should we ask him for? Journey mercies? Should we ask him to lead, guide, and direct? For a hedge of protection? Paul aims slightly higher than those aims. Point number two. Pray that God may grant us the grace to comprehend Christ's incomprehensible love. Pray that God may grant us the grace to comprehend Christ's incomprehensible love. The actual prayer request begins in the middle of verse 16 and formally extends to the end of verse 19. Just ask yourself, do you pray this way? Verse 16, may he grant you to be strengthened with power through his spirit in your inner being so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. But you, being rooted and grounded in love, may have the strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length and height and depth and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. Do we pray this way? Does anybody pray this way? How much of our praying today circles the issue of the alleviation of suffering is a very strange thing because we live in the most isolated, insulated cozy, cushioned culture on the planet. And yet our prayers are constantly peppered with alleviate suffering. Paul almost never prayed that way. Almost never because he did in one situation that I can see. In 2 Corinthians 12, Paul asked Jesus to remove his thorn in the flesh. And after he asked him three times, Jesus said he should stop asking for that. Jesus said, my grace is sufficient for you, 
My power is made perfect. My power is made perfect in your weakness. Please don't hear me say that we shouldn't pray for healing or for safety. I believe in both. And I believe that God wants us to pray for those things. Healing shows him to be a great and mighty God. But healing and safety are not Jesus' primary concerns. Power, strength, grace are his primary concerns. Grace to go through anything we face in this life to the glory and praise of God. So let's, let's walk through this prayer phrase by phrase and see how Paul puts it together. It's the kind of prayer we need to be praying. It's going to make us strong as a church. Verse 16, may he grant you to be strengthened with power. Now, I believe that based on how Paul prays, that power is grace. I think that's what it is. Uh, in Philippians 4.13, he says, I can do all things through him who strengthens me. But where does the strength come from? 2 Timothy 2.1, Paul says to Timothy, you then, my child, be strengthened by the grace that is in Christ Jesus. Hebrews 13.9, it is good for the heart to be strengthened by grace. 1 Peter 5.10, after you have suffered a little while, the God of all grace who has called you to his eternal glory in Christ will himself restore, confirm, strengthen, and establish you. So may God strengthen us with the power of of his grace. Never ever forget that grace is not just about pardon for our sins. It's about power for sinners to live new lives. That's what Paul's praying for here in Ephesians 3. Power to live in the strength that he supplies so that we get the help we need. He gets the glory he deserves and around and around we go. May he grant us to be strengthened with power. Okay, let's, let's take the next two phrases in verse 16 together. May he grant you to be strengthened with power through his spirit in your inner being. Feel the balance there. May he grant you to be strengthened with power through his spirit in your inner being. Notice that the the gracious strengthening power comes through his spirit. The spirit, I suspect the Holy Spirit. Paul has now invoked two members of the Trinity so far in this prayer, and he's going to get around to the Son in the next verse. This is a Trinitarian prayer. We should pray Trinitarian prayers. May he grant you to be strengthened with power through his spirit in your inner being. The power belongs to the spirit, but it's our spirit that gets the help from that helper. Power through his spirit in your inner being. This is unbelievable. This is unbelievable. I think this is precisely the dynamic of the Christian life that Paul talks about in another place. Uh, 2 Corinthians 4.16, listen to the way that Paul says this. 2 Corinthians 4.16, So we do not lose heart, though our outer self is wasting away. Our inner self is being renewed day by day. Mount Evangelical Free Church, there is more to life than escaping discomfort and physical healing. Receiving physical healing. The Apostle Paul's body was a physical wreck through countless beatings, through stoning and shipwreck and starvation and exposure and his thorn in the flesh, whatever that was. 
And yet he writes, we do not lose heart. Can you see him? Can you see the bruises on his body? The outer nature is wasting away. But the inner nature is being renewed day by day. May God grant us to be strengthened with such power. Heart strengthened by grace through his spirit in our inner being. Well, why? Because strength is given for a purpose. Strength isn't the point. Strength is to get to the point. What's the point, Paul? What does he really want? What's the end game here? The end game is verses 17 to 19. So that, strengthened with Holy Spirit power in your inner being, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, that you, being rooted and grounded in love, may have strength for what? To comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length and height and depth and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. Oh my. Pray that God may grant us the grace to comprehend Christ's incomprehensible love. That's what we need strength for. Power, grace, strength to comprehend Christ's incomprehensible love. We need grace to understand the love of Christ. And just so you know, there's, Paul is not talking about our love for Christ. That could be a way that you interpret the love of Christ. But that's not what he's talking about here. His Greek phrase here will not support that interpretation. Uh, it is a good idea to love Jesus. It is. And we're going to go there next week and the week after. We'll talk about how important it is to love Jesus. That is not what Paul is talking about here. In Ephesians 3.19, what Paul is saying is that he's praying that we would have the grace to comprehend how unbelievably much Christ loves us. And he does love us. He was mocked. He was railed at. He was bruised and spit upon. Jesus was tortured and flayed alive with a cat of nine tails. And then he went to the cross. He loves us. He loves us. He did it for you and me. He did it for the joy set before him. He endured the cross. So may we at Mount Free Church have strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length and height and depth and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge. That we, that we would be rooted and grounded in that love as a church. What couldn't we do as a church? Because because when we are rooted and grounded in such love, we become lovers. Yes, we do. We become lovers of God in worship. We become lovers of each other in Christian fellowship. We become lovers of lost people in terms of zealous evangelism and compassionate concern. We do. When we are rooted and grounded in the love of Christ. But the key is love. And that is where we're going over the next several weeks with this sermon series. Love for God, love for each other, love for the world. But the key is love. If we understand how much Jesus loves us, everything changes everywhere. 
everything. If you're with us today and you've never before understood God's love for you in Christ, but now you do, don't wait a minute longer. Give yourself to him. Turn from your sins. Put your faith in Jesus Christ today. He loves you. He loves you more than you love you. He loves you more than anyone loves you. He demonstrated that in that while you were yet a sinner, he died for you. Come to Jesus today. Take refuge in him. There is a wrath coming for all those who do not take shelter in him. Put your faith in him. If you want to know how that works, just talk, talk to me after the worship gathering. I'll be right in the back. Or Randy Johnson will be down here on behalf of our elders. He'd love to pray for you, with you. Turn to someone who's near you who knows Christ and talk to them about how you invite Christ into your life. Don't leave this place without putting your trust in Jesus Christ. Now there's one more point to the sermon and we need to see how the prayer ends. So point three. Remember that the God who gives the grace gets the glory. Remember that the God who gives the grace gets the glory. Look with me at verses 20 and 21. Now to him who is able to do far more abundantly than all we could ask or think according to the power at work within us, to him be the glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. Amen. What makes these final verses all the more remarkable is what he was shooting for in verse 19. I don't even even know what to say about this. I'll try. Paul prayed that God would grant us the grace to comprehend the incomprehensible love of Christ. And what happens when you're a person who's becoming increasingly aware of and rooted and grounded in the love of Christ for you? What what should we say about such a person? Paul says in verse 19, uh, again, to, to know the love of Christ, that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. That's brave. Really? Me? You? Paul? Sinners? Yes. Filled with all the fullness of God. What gives Paul such assertiveness? I mean, this is hubris that strikes the average American as arrogant. Verse 11, Christ Jesus, our Lord, in whom we have boldness and access with confidence through our faith in him. And this prayer is an example of that boldness. Verse 11 is the key. Verses 14 and following is the prayer. Through Jesus, we have access to God. So let's shoot for the moon in our prayer request. Should we pray for healing? Absolutely. And so much more that we would be filled with all of the fullness of God. Now, you'd think he'd stop there. I mean, what else is there to pray for? Paul says in verse 20, Well, we're praying to a God 
who can do far more than anything that we might ask or think. What could be more abundant than being filled with all the fullness of God? I don't know, quite frankly. I was thinking about that this week. I'm not sure what else one would ask. But Paul tapped out at that point. And he said, well, that's who we're praying to. This is the privilege that Christ purchased for us in his death and resurrection. It's a privilege to pray to this God, to know this God, to receive from this God far more abundantly than all we could ask or think. Well, I agree with Paul, don't you? The God who gives the grace, that kind of grace, gets the glory. Verse 21, to him be the glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations, forever and ever. Amen. So Mount Evangelical Free Church, prayer is the highest use to which speech can be put. Don't just believe Jesus is resurrected from the dead. Pray like it. Pray because Christ has been raised up. We may now pray God's blessings down. Pray that God may grant us the grace to comprehend Christ's incomprehensible love. And when we begin to wrap our minds around that, what's going to start to happen is worship of God, fellowship with one another, love and outreach and evangelism and compassionate, merciful concern for those on the outside. It will happen. On the authority of God's word, I guarantee it. And as that happens to our church, let's stay low. What do you think he gave us this building for? He has very, very good things in store for this church. Christ loves us. Not because we're lovely, but because he's love. And as the God like that gives the grace, let's give him the glory. He is risen. Let's pray. Father in heaven, a prayer like this is, it's so much more than we pray. And yet it is hopeful. It's not just condemning to see how far short we fall in our prayer lives. This is very encouraging. We can pray this way. We can pray Ephesians 1. That's a good prayer. We can pray 2 Thessalonians 1. That's another good prayer. We can pray Romans 15. That's another good prayer. Thank you, Father, for the prayers of Paul, for the prayers that are in the Bible. Lord, we follow this inspired logic through prayer. We, as we do it, we, we show you your own handwriting. For Paul would tell you that these words were inspired by Almighty God. And so, Lord, we show you your own handwriting here. We pray your words back to you. And because the tomb is empty, we have great hope. Lord God, please fill this church with your love. May Mount Evangelical Free Church be pulsing with the love of Jesus this Easter season so that worship is white hot, so that fellowship is real and abiding and that lost people get found over and over and over again and folded in and grown up into the life of this church and many churches around us and even around the world. In Jesus' name, amen.